welcome to the second season of We Are All Africans. A safe space for Africans with a wide range of backgrounds to discuss their being in a globalized world. I'm Saren Coley. Please take a seat and listen. So my first, first question for you is, what's your full name and what does it mean? My names are Hermes. My dad was quite a spiritual enthusiast. He read far and wide, named all his children after Greek mythological gods and Egyptian goddesses. Uh, my sister's name is Isis. My eldest brother's name is Akhenaten. My elder brother's name is Kutumi. And Hermes is basically a representation of issue in the Greek mythology. That particular name was one that I absolutely didn't like growing up. I thought it was just too hard to pronounce from school and everything. It gave me a lot of drama trying to pronounce my name and whatnot. So I didn't, I didn't exactly like it growing up. Chibwezi, my middle name, which was a forceful name my mom. She's like, how would you give my children all of these foreign names? I know Nigerian names. And she just dashed all of us a couple of, um, Nigerian Igbo, Igbo name. I'm from the south of Nigeria, Delta State to be precise, in Nigeria. And Chibwezi means God is King. And that name follows me in essence because I mean, everywhere I go, I just have this, you know, total enthusiasm and passion to do everything that I can per time, every time that I can, to get the best out of other situations and things. ELA is a family name, very respected in the south and Delta State. Some of the founding um, families of the community up on them. Um, from so it's like royalty and whatnot and that's my name very interesting so you say that you're originally from the south so where were you born where did you grow up and how was your upbringing so i was born in lagos nigeria born and brought off here in lagos my dad practically raised us mom took off after a bit things were difficult for my mom to stay with my dad. So she often left. Dad asked if she would take the children when she was born, but she said something that he never forgot. It kept ringing in our ears. Children are not my concern, is what she said. And she left and didn't come back. I was, I was really young, about two years then. Um, didn't come back for probably seven years, came back, tried to get back with my dad. Dad was adamant about not needing her because I mean, I had already done the heavy lifting and whatnot. We had already grown to be able to bake that, so cook and do some, you know, little things at home. I went to all the public schools in my community. I was born and brought up in Oroshiki. I was born in Oroshiki and, and somehow I moved out of this place, moved into a, an estate, was staying in uncompleted buildings, an estate not too far off from the community where I grew up in. After a while, we went back to the community I was born in, and we're still, I'm still there now. I've got an apartment now. I was staying, I'm staying here with my partner, blessing. Growing up, it was a, it was an interesting thing. Going through school, not exactly loving it. Like I said, some some of it was, I mean, <laughs> just a bit of a, a, a lot. Because, I mean, one was that people had problems pronouncing my name. I didn't have a problem associating with people. Always have been the social guy, energy guy. High school was a turning point for me, to be honest, because a lot of the things that I thought I was going to do going into high school weren't the things that I found myself doing and, and the direction that I eventually took when I saw what, what, what it required of me and how I could, what interest I really had in all of those things, specifically pertaining to the arts. Because right, right from SS2, I knew I wanted to move, I wanted to do acrobats and most of it. And, and back at high school, just, you know, got around at lunchtime and just run around. 
do really high, jump really high and turn around on the air and whatnot. And it was always a spectacle. People always anticipated it. Every lunch break, you just gather around. It was a it was a thing to look forward to, to be honest. And I'll just, you know, get some of my guys, and get them hyped and whatnot. I'll just go there like, yeah, let's do this. And all of that. It was just the birth of my, my artistic career, to be honest. You know, not having my mom, always missed her. I was absolutely traumatized. All my girlfriends had to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> because I literally would not be able to understand a lateness or an availability after confirmation of availability. Like, someone would tell me that they're coming because this is what my mom always did. And we always missed her so much. We'd call her once um, once in a while when we got access to my dad's phone back in the day. We'd call her and ask her, um, you know, when are you coming? You know, we miss you and all of that. She'd say, next year, April. The year would pass. The month will pass, we'll say maybe she forgot, it's probably just a month delay. And the next year will pass and we get to call her again, or she gets to call us one time and she's like, oh yeah, May next year, you know? And it went on and went on and just, I just didn't want to give up on the fact that she was going to come. So just latched onto that hope and it was stretched over time, you know, it, it became a, the kind of thing that I, that I decided to deal with, not being able to trust, anticipating people to, you know, own up to their words and whatnot. But again, working through it now, starting to understand how this, this has affected me and uh, trying to do better, you know, responding to that effect and whatnot. It was a difficult thing for me when my dad passed on, because that was my foundation, shield and everything. It was absolutely beautiful to have to take responsibility for myself and do all the things that I started to do, they started to inform my, my person, responsibility towards the family. I'm the third child of the family, two other brothers. And when I started to take responsibility for myself, take responsibility for my space, it started to be the case that I couldn't because before, my dad died, it wasn't the case, you know, I didn't even think it was something I needed to do, but as soon as an opportunity to take responsibility for myself arrived and I, and I was able to fill in that spot, it started to become a lot of things, you know, I started to see for myself what it took to take care of myself, what was required, and I somewhere the capacity, just accustomed grace to this new reality or willingness, my will, sense of will, to make things happen and start to create the reality that I am that I saw possible from the standpoints that I was in. And it's been a lot. Um, this has been the most interesting journey of my life, to be honest. Finding patterns that work for me. It started off as a quest to make a piece, a dance piece, my debut piece. And yeah, I was Japan. I had been, uh, oh yeah, I met Kudis Nikeku, world-renowned um, Contemporary artist, dancer, artist. yeah. Yes, I met her over the space of four years. It was something that just happened, you know. I was back at home, myself and Sunday, a recent recipient of the Prince Class Award. Amazing community organizer, partner in the Russian team. We've been doing a lot here. We used to dance in a religious dance group, go to the churches and just, you know, do our thing. Jump around, swing our legs, and just get spectacles, open this. <laughs> He got a message one time on the internet uh, that said that Kidan Center, a place managed by Kudusuni Kirku, was looking for young artists who were vibrant, you know, looking to explore the possibility of, you know, sharing space with comedians, actors, and seeing what collaborative experience we could have in creating, you know, anything, everything. There's an experience, you know, just to start the process of understanding what it means to create. And he was absolutely interested. I got, I caught wind of it. I thought it was something that could, you know, that could benefit me at the time because I was looking at, for ways to maximize the 
potential that I already saw myself have in the arts for a career, for a future, because I mean, school wasn't an option. I wouldn't get sponsorship for it. My dad is like, you know, has to do a lot of work. And I thought, you know, if I had to work and study at the same time, it's not exactly a balanced state to get as much as I need to. So I just thought, you know, let me just look for something along the line of what I'm already interested in. Look for ways to maximize the potential of this reality and then just find the best as regards, you know, starting a career, building a career with something that I love. So we went there and what started off as a, as a nine month internship led into a, a four years uh, masterclass um, internship of a sort. Started creating with Kudusu Nikaku, what started off as Madhouse, which is music, acting and dance, just coming together to create uh, organized chaos. It was quite an interesting process for me because this was how I started to understand what it meant or forms in which I could create. And I'm so grateful that I started with theater because it's such intense emotion that it requires one to minister and walk through and to understand before you're able to express and whatnot. And, and this was the entire process. It was very real. This was my first contact with realism. What I was used to was the religious troops dispersed at, at the expense of, you know, religious doctrines and whatnot. And I, I knew this was this was truth. And I also knew there was there was a lot more out there because I mean I still stayed in a community where people were very much in other people's business and what they thought was commonly right and wrong was just an extreme and, and you know, all of these things and what I was being taught in church. Personally observed. So after after training with Caduce, after a while, the company felt like, oh yeah, I'm starting to explore things outside the company and they felt like this is not something they would like to have. So they asked me to go explore if my inquisitiveness would, would lead me to something strong and help me build a, a firm foundation, which I'm grateful for. At the time, I thought it was a bad thing, you know, this company that I totally depended on for a career, taking me on tour. I went on tour, yes, uh, with the company. Germany, uh, Serbia, Amsterdam, Rotterdam made me travel for the first time. That trip absolutely informed my reality because before then I used to be the boy that didn't have anything, couldn't expect much from life, didn't expect much, was just you know willing to do it all the way there was that I felt was necessary to grow and then become all the things that I hoped that I would become, you know, in life. And I didn't see this as a possibility, it just something to hope for, to have faith towards looking back now and understanding how how intentional I've been about manifesting this reality. It's, it's been impossible. It always has been for me to imagine traveling in a plane. Who would, who would give me the money? Who would pay the plane ticket, you know? It was just a far-fetched idea, but it was one I still latched on to, believed in, hoped for. And it came to pass. There was a lot of work in between, a lot of crying and whatnot. Because <laughs> Kudus don't play. Kudus doesn't in play. It's, it's very intense the way he works, like, the way that he works. The research process, he would have us watch videos on the pattern of, of what he's trying to get us, the perspective he's trying to get us into, uh, to understand the piece, the emotional delivery of the piece. I think the piece that was most intense creating for me was Europa, the piece addressed um, Africans migrating. And it's a funny story how that came to be because he said at some point in our rehearsals that um, it was asked to make a piece of migration to lure people away from, you know, doing that, like migrating with the illegitimate uh, way to migrate because it's above Africans. Uh, I mean, in Nigeria here, there's a bus trying to take people to like Europe, Spain and whatnot. I don't, and these people go go and get this bus and have to go in dinghies. And they wanted a piece that could scare people from this reality. But then to this story of it and just put the actual reality and made us watch films of how people were drowning, discovering themselves. I personally understood this at a molecular level that 
the pain, the anguish. And being, being an African who's lived and grown up in Africa, it was also understandable, the desire to want to have something better, something that could work. Like I said, my reality growing up was such that I could dream, but I couldn't exactly hope that this dream could come to pass within real or any work that I could do, because this is the kind of system that I've grown up in. You know, people from the, my part of the world, um, my kind of experience, a nice way to even grow beyond that, a nice way to leave that kind of community within their lifetime. So these platforms like that, it would seem like a like an escape, you know? And this was what entirely the piece was about. You know, we saw lots of videos. We we had a list of people who had, who had died, who had, been, who had been reported dead. It was a lot to take in. And when we eventually were done creating the piece, it was a lot of emotion in and transition that was that went on stage you know it was such beautiful it informed at a great level my perspective towards the art and the power that it holds to cause change to inspire change to administer humanity to bring to the forefront of question that is global that is not within human sight to, to be able to present humanity in a way that is seen to see from a place of privilege and to see from a place of wants and desire, to present that reality within a state of, of being, you know, the balance of it as just, you know, reality is trying to mix and, and shift and change. The chaos that that is causing in our world and the power of arts to express that sense of chaos because from either of both ends, it's just a perspective towards what they want or what they would rather have. But in this piece, it's not a question of who is right or who's wrong, who should be or who shouldn't be. It was just a presentation of reality as to say, oh, see this, or people are dying, should we say that they should stop? But even within the death it's hard where they're coming from it's like there was this video that always displayed at the, at the center of the piece that said if home is the mouth of a shark wouldn't you learn how to swim it's just a representation of how hard it is to be a home and how difficult it might be projected to you know believe that one could make it on a dinghy to europe to what is described as a heaven on earth so desire that to one that would it be a bad thing would it be something that is projected as you know just to present reality at its rare state to not have a white or black approach to it There is one thing that is always very difficult. And I think what you just said is really true. And it's, I think that's the approach that we should use more is that a lot of people who actually live in Europe or the US are the ones who would tell mm. other Africans who want to come, do not come because it's hard. Who would believe mm. you because you're living there? So it feels <laughs> like it's fine. So I think it doesn't work. That what works is to actually show the journey show mm, the consequences mm. on the entire generation, the people who left, the people who died, the people who were droning, mm. the place that are unwelcoming, mm. the trauma of the journey, because those who have mm. made it to Europe, how do they make mm. it? Like, how do they arrive? The trauma, the fact that nobody wants you here, that you rejected. And I think it's natural to want to go. And I hate the, the border control and all that. I am against it. But also mm. at the same time, it's so risky. Mm. And for what? At the end of the day, that's the question usually. Yeah. It looks like something to desire, to want. Because with life, with will, with everything, the free will will given, religious, even religious sets in the Bible would let you know, or let one 
informed one that one is given free will. And with that, now checking, looking at humanity, God bless the internet, right? At some point, tradition is, is all it was, you know? A model for going about adapting the individual into, into the collective of society, community. All we had was tradition, you know? All the information we had was around you. We're starting to have cross-culture. People are starting to understand the things that are relevant in their communities, relevant elsewhere in Spain, in China, and the rest of it. And all of what this does is help gather collective intelligence as to the human race and how we'd rather, you know, coexist and how we'd rather not coexist and all of the questions that are currently ongoing in our today world. But the good thing about the cross-culture that's happening now is that people can leverage on truth, on truth that governs community. There are lots of books I've been reading on communities that have worked, why they worked, wealthy communities, why they were wealthy, leaders that thrive. Data that are collected and, and projected into community, society as, as acceptable character of the individual, how the individual, their patterns and cross-patterns everywhere. None of it is even hidden anymore. It's so good now that one can get a career from watching YouTube. It's such leverage, you know, these days. It's a lot of comparison between the now and the, and the past and the possible future. For me, it's a paralyzing thing to do to compare narratives. You see, acceptance at the very core of it is everything, you know? Accepting the past for what it was, why it was, within the context of history that we have access to. But even with the little data that we have towards a, a sense of history, right, we can understand what worked and why it worked. One thing I've been saying recently about history is how people condemn the, the leaders of today. I'm not saying that it's good or I, at any level justify their deeds as to how how greed has, has led to a society that is not even encouraging for the most population of a country. Because I mean, the most population of Nigerian people are beyond below average. Financial support cannot administer themselves to the same level of comfort. And this is the most population when you think about how, because I live here and I know how willing people are to work, how much people want to work and do something for themselves, but how frustrating it is to look out and not be able to find anything lucrative or not even lucrative. It's a system that forces one. It's not even something to complain about because like I said, this is the, this is the system that's informed my ability to administer well because nothing is provided and where nothing is provided, one has to do the work to create a career, create finance, create a job, financially viable, your ability to create it's put at its peak in, in this country or in Lagos State, to be honest. And as much as I can complain about that being a, a reason why chaos is the case or a desire is such a high demand or capacity of delivery and whatnot, I mean, it also informs our ability to create. And, and these things are just subconscious. If studied and lets to grow within the systems that it operates, because there are lots of cultures and subcultures that have had to be built based off of the struggle that people are facing, community that have had to merge, people that have had to, you know, um, understand certain realities that are said to not be conformable to within the idea of a capitalist system. So it's a, it's a sort of balance between uh, capitalism and socialism in a way that is projected towards, not even knowing that this is already reality, this just has to be studied, made intentional, and then it'll be everything. The past is the past, it's happened within the context that has happened, people had what they had as access to information. The systems that ruled the past, ruled the past. The ones that were learning, it's been a more globalized world, we're learning to, you know, have more conversations, see ways in which the differences in community can be included into community. Within all other means, especially the art, is such a beautiful tool helping the differences because it's one thing to expect us to leave as a race, as a human race, and to not expect change. Why not expect change? Why not prepare? And this is, this is my life practice, to be at a state where constantly I'm willing to change, you know, 
dissolving the ego as much as possible, checking facts, checking the past, and administering it for what the past was, taking that data to find conviction as to how this data applies to the present within my individual life, as it's projected by society, in society, how I can apply my individual reality to the collective, in truth, not a delusional representation of a self in expectation of a, of a reality that is tethered to the past or one that is tethered to a possible reality. These things do not exist anymore. It, life is a constant moving now, ever-changing now. And in my opinion, the, the most valuable human gift is free will, the ability to change if, if effort is made to it. Like we can learn and unlearn things. That's, that's what it means to be a sentient being, to use our capacity at its fullest, you know, to see things that serve, the things that no longer serve. Why do you serve? Why do you not serve? And hold truth to a vantage point, to find common grounds, common truth by which society, community, people can, in, individuals that have differences can find ideas to then work, use their in individual differences to make ideas, which is why the sports, ideas, agriculture, things that, that can help a community grow are the things we're supposed to align and under, not our individual selves. And now people are trying to compare the individual selves, you know, you're white and black, and then it will always be a difference. It will always be a, a chaotic experience. And that's why ideas are, are the greatest form of godliness, to be honest, because these are the things that align us as, as individuals, that help us expression to our individual differences. And then that's what it means to be a community, you know, it's not to be the same thing or to, to be ruled by the same thing. It's to be different, but to have things, to have ideas that are supported by community, by the government, by whatever it is that one that leads the, the community to help these individuals coexist, associate within peace. Um, a lot of people talk about our tradition and how that is, that is we're losing essence and whatnot. I think we can complain about that and we could also absolutely celebrate it that we're the most, you know, adaptive people. This is the greatest human gift to adapt, to see something, to see what's good and to take on what is or what you want, to dissolve what you don't want. It's a constant changing. And whatever anyone can change into per time, over time, it's exactly what they can. It's not because someone else has to make that same change. The pressure is real within an individual viewpoint. There is something very interesting that you said about traditions. From your point of view, what are your traditions? What do you know about them? My traditions are, for me, my deepest connection to what is described to as tradition is movement. I believe so much in the power of movement, dancing, movement in general, speaking about things, moving from a phase to another, trusting change, the possibility of change. I really do believe in this. It has informed a lot of my life at a great capacity, you know, the the factor of change and believing in that factor, because if not, I wouldn't have ascribed to any of the things that I've ascribed to in this life form. Like I said at the beginning point of this interview, it's been impossible to imagine that I would ascribe to anything within the system that I grew up in. But I didn't stop at that. I still believed, I still do, did what I thought was necessary part-time, over time. And I'm currently where I'm at right now. So tradition, in my opinion, is a way that things work, that worked so well that we administer it into a sense of self as regards the collective of Nigeria, that is Nigeria, of people that did Nigeria. The Goshians, the Yorubars, Igos, you know, it's languages that are understood within a collective that is administered to this collective 
means to communicate, means to associate village squares, governments, and the rest of it. It just means to help individuals communicate with individuals without the chaos that would naturally exist if these differences just, you know, try to administer the differences on each other, which is exactly what is happening. You know, we're so intelligent that we could make everything perfect. The capacity, or at least anything, there's any there's such a thing as perfection, though. There's only realism, there's effort, there's free will, and there's what you do with the decisions, and decisions will inform one's application of self to whatever it is, situations, realities, communities, and whatnot. And it is individuals that, decisions are at an individual state that I mean now. And these are conversations that are not in, had. We're not even taught to be individuals within the sense of community. We're, we're taught about society and community and how what society requires what of us. Form. Yeah. Taught, <laughs> yeah, how to conform. Yeah, we're, we're taught to, you know, conform to society. We're not taught what individuality is. And to be honest, if we're going to do anything as a collective of, of human race, it will be because we understand our individual realities at a molecular form, a sense, so much so that we know exactly what the world expects of whatever it is, and we're hoping or dreaming towards breaking that boundary for whatever desire we carry, from whatever it is that we're able to work with, you know? So imagine Africa at the past, of past glory. It's to imagine, it's to think, it's to be in your head. And that happened, oh great, it happened because people were intentional about their lives at that time, you know, what they could do now, and they did it, you know, and they were great for it. All I hear people do these days is complain about the narrative of the now compared to the past, compared to a possible future and how impossible it is, you know? People are just, you know, giving up. It's, there's no faith towards it. There's no willingness to apply the self. The will, the very thing that is creative in nature. It's just a comparison of, of a now to a past. And all that would do is either create anger or displeasure. And, and all of the narratives that we all collectively I've said we do not want going forward. It's alignment, and I understand that this, this is a part of it, you know, this is a part of the journey. Finding the rage, understanding it, doing the work to overcome it, keeping it where it needs to still hold space, because this is a part of reality. It's not a push, it's not a white or black, or it's black or white. It's just, it's, you know, understand where anger applies, you know, when boundaries are being violated, unempathetically, or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And to administer a sense of self, and to hold space for boundaries to be administered, because if, if the self isn't respected within the application of this self to community that, that this self is understood and one has applied themselves into there's a discourse or disagreements as regards the self, the application of the self to the community. If the self is able to explain this narrative of application within the means at which it doesn't disrupt the natural flow or the flow of community or risk or is, is in no way a risk to the lives that make up the collective reality or the beliefs the chronicle states the application of the self does not disrupt that sense of community. It should be allowed, it should be included into society, it should be given ways to grow because this is it's absurd to imagine that humanity within the sense of how intelligent we, we like to imagine ourselves to be, you know, the most intelligent being on earth and all of these things that we enable ourselves to be, even though ants also have their own community, their intelligence, they communicate with themselves, different variations of them are soldiers and, you know, they have community, which means they have a sense of intelligence on their own. But I mean, with all of our intelligence, it's just wanting and needing on a personal scale and just administering that's the entire collective. Everyone has to conform to your desire now because you have had to conform to a desire that you thought was predominant or is, is perfection, you know? And now you're requiring everyone to, to minister to that. Nobody owes you that.
There is one thing that I find interesting, and this is going to be a generalization from my part, but it's also this mm. question of tradition conforming. My question was within the context of Nigerian society, Lagos, the family circle, how was that perceived? Mm. The fact that she wasn't there for her children. And you also talked about mm. your father's reaction to that, but then your reaction to that as well. Like what was the mm. dynamic around all of this in regards to what a mother, a woman, whatever is supposed to do? So yeah, you are you're very right as to how non-conformist my upbringing was and how that could have informed my approach and perspective towards life. Yeah, we're not far from what we've been through <laughs> within the life process of making a life or maintaining a life or growing one. But exactly, you know, it takes a village. And <sighs> my mom, it was, uh, it was a lot, you know, it, it was a lot. My dad was a great guy. That's, that's all I could say. To a great extent, we didn't exactly lack a lot. We didn't lack so much. It's a common thing to expect a mother to be the caregiver. So that is a great skill. I didn't even realize it until this question, the accolades that I should have given my dad as regards the, the space that he, he filled up. He repeatedly said that he could have got a second wife that, that would have, but he always knew that she would have treated us wrong. And then it was a lot of work for him to have raised us alone. It was a lot. We were quite very young. I was about two. My brothers were about four. Just very young kids. A man within the concept of African man having to deal with kids, send us to school, bathe us, cook for us, even whilst he's, you know, and they just moved into this apartment with men that he had to like call carpenters and, you know, get this place fixed and whatnot. But to a great scale, my dad set, set the standards for what love really means because it's a lot of duty, not a requirement to be comfortable, but it's a lot of duty and responsibility in that space. And this is not so much pleasure, to be honest. But when it comes, it does come, you know, in, in fulfillment of desires as regards what the or the possibility of a of a reality could be in a in respect of what work one could do, how one can administer will to efforts, decisions doing, and then what growth could come from that, you know? It's beautiful to see, but then again, the process of, of love is, is one that is requiring of one to take responsibility for their part to play in whatever space they're in, family. And my dad at a great scale did exactly that, you know? He just held space for all of us. It was a great man, it was a lot. So I wouldn't say that we, we as a family lacked love in that sense. There was so much freedom that my dad also raised us with. He wasn't particular about if we we're religious or went to church or any of those things. He was also a free thinker. He he meditated, used vowel sounds. He was, he was very much connected to his roots. At a great scale, I feel like this this was this at a great scale informed my my freedom towards expression of the self because I wasn't exactly tame. You know, it was just as long as you're happy, you find fulfillment in doing. This was the information that I grew up with psychologically and physically within my physical space. It was difficult. You know, we had to move from uncompleted buildings to uncompleted buildings. But even in this estate where we're in uncompleted buildings, you know, we we still had friends from the high society. We could still navigate that difference. And I think this was this was all thanks to the way that my dad raised us, you know, the, the kind of confidence he raised us with. He didn't make us think anything was more important than just being and then finding how to apply to space. The difficulty of finding the self, it won't be easy. It will never be easy. And if one say, oh, it won't be easy, but I will be, I'm willing to put in the efforts to grow within space, to grow within essence as to how to apply myself in space and in intelligence within my individuality to collective spaces or whatever it is that I desire to be in. I think the place where I felt 
lack of motherly care the most was in school when people would, you know, you had, you have people, they'll ask that we bring our parents, you know, open days, we'll have to bring our parents and people will come with their mom. My mom was always beautiful. She was, oh God, this woman is just fine. And we saw her a couple of times, just once in like five years, sometimes four years. It was a, it was a hard relationship to be honest. It was so traumatizing, God. <laughs> so we see her very briefly and having such a beautiful warm, you want to show off, you know, when you want to come to school and show all your friends that that's my mom. And my dad though, cooked. He didn't like I said, we didn't lack any of the things, a lot of things that we could have lacked not having a mom around. My dad was such a great cook. He was such a loving father. He provided a great skill. He wasn't exactly so emotionally available, but but he just, you know, he gave such freedom that that is informing my approach to even life and relationship right now and whatnot. Capacity. <sighs> to be honest, it's just, you know, needing needing my mom and not having her around would be would be the the most traumatizing experience from, from not having her around. But every other thing, I think my dad was such a great guy. He was such a great guy and doing what was necessary, what he felt was necessary and, and filling that space up. The most beautiful thing about that is is how it was only until my dad died, which is about four years ago, that my mom started to live with us again, you know? When my girl got missing and I started to look for her, people started to custom that love to her being there, you know, mother's love, I was projected. Like you said, the most common reality as regards to mothers in our narrative as humans is that the mom is the one that would never leave their children and all of that. My mom wasn't that woman, you know? She often, she left, she had a life. She was practically, you know, just leaving her life. We were there, the children that she bore, you know, my dad, you know, trying to figure life out. She only came back, like, if it was the case that when she goes, I just put up a story and this story and say, this is my motherhood and this is why, you know, I'm just hoping that this police looks for her. And, and that's what I mean by my daughter taught us such a beautiful sense of love that is accustomed to duty and a sense of now as, as opposed to, you know, an imagination of what should be and then administering what one should do from a place of what should be instead of a place of what is and one can do in truth as to this reality and what one wants in truth, what is projected as, as a sensible society. Because if I use the path as a template to administer care to my mom, of course, I didn't have to do anything and everyone would have understood my place, you know, like from a from place present, right? Because it was a whole thing that happened with her. We had that for a while. We didn't even know she had uh, mild dementia. It was when we asked a couple of uh, family members to help take her off from my dad's side of our hands because we still had to work a lot. I had to be at the house a couple of days sometimes. My brother was the same thing. It was just the both of us because my sister was in school at the time. My brother, eldest brother was still in school at the time as well. It was just the both of us. And we had to go for that long. She couldn't cook anymore. She couldn't find the, you know, mental capacity to cook. And she used to be a great cook at the time. So we had to always come back home and it was affecting our work because we were still great in the space of work, trying to, you know, find a career and then maintain a career, earn and everything. Um, and she was starting to be a burden. So we, before Corona, we asked if a family member could take her off her hand while we work and then figure out what we could do with, with that situation as to how to maybe get her somewhere. And at the time, like, the best data knowledge that we had was that Yaba Psychiatry, the hospital that we took her from to, and then she walked away from. It was the best option. You know, they had seasoned professionals in mental illness and they could administer drugs that could help, probably help her heal. Or if they couldn't, they had spaces, a space there that they could, you know, keep her there and would pay a fee per month, per year. And then we'd, we'd have her being taken care of while we still work. And which is why we took her to the hospital. She walked out of there. We tried to get accountability for that. 
became something else. And I turned the protest party into a search party, myself, my girlfriend, family members and, and friends and well wishes. And we went out five days, found my mom after five days. That, that particular experience was such an informing one because, because of all the, all the things that happened, it was absolute chaos, you know? I'd saved up for a bit. Personally, I saved up for a bit. I wanted to move out of the apartment where I was staying with family because Except for my partner, blessing. We were sure that we wanted to you know, start to live life together and figure out what that means for both of us. As we're finding such strong alignment that wasn't even possible within family and whatnot. We wanted to you know, see where that leads for us. And the money I saved up was what I used to sustain the search party for at least five days. And it was an absolute chaos, you know, at a degree to think that, that I didn't owe my mom that much sacrifice. But then again, I, what does that mean? You know, because that's my mom, as much as I didn't have the norm as regards what the experience of a mom and a child would be in our tradition now did not stop me from doing what I should do as regards my projection or perception of a possible future and my role to play in that. If I said that this was what happened in my person, I don't owe this any responsibility, it wouldn't be my higher self. It wouldn't be a service to my, it would be a disservice to my higher self because my higher self, my projection of the future is such that even within deeds that are, my mom was the when she left us was someone who was sane and was able to do that, help herself. Now, the woman that needs my help is one that is going through mental illness and can't even cook for herself. And if I would administer the past and my experience in the past, the trauma of the past to this reality of the now, it wouldn't be fitting. It wouldn't even be fair. It wouldn't be judgment. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything at all. It would, just, it would just be a trauma response to a very active reality. That's what a lot of people do these days, you know? It's, it's a lot of administering traumatized decision to reality. This has taken a lot of work to even come to this, to come to this realization that this is what I would like to do, you know? And, and to see love from that perspective is not to see one that is reciprocal. It's just, you know, based off of your idea of what it means, your projection of the future, you're going to have to do things. It won't, it won't be understood. It won't be even be celebrated. But is that the reason why we do any of the things that we do? It's a lot that we're doing in the community, trying to build, um, give back, train the kids here within our now understand what the arts carry in potential because when I was young, no one told me this. I had to believe so much, I had to find reference to what it is that I believed. It was hard to believe, you know, but now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a representation of a height in, in, in retrospect of, of what is possible in the arts. And I still stay in this community, the slum, you know, and kids see me on television because I've been on now the music artist videos. So they see me on television, they still see me walk by the streets and they see how hard it is. Because here is this internet fraud that is the thing that is ascribed to, but every kid in this street like that it's so like casually it's casually said and it's such a bitter it's just such a bitter experience you know to observe and and this is a great skill you know it's, it's been the reason why we've tirelessly kept working in the community that we and it's such information that has gone out to youth here they're so informed you know they're so motivated as well as, as to doing things and we're starting to try to do a lot as well i mean it's we're still being frustrated by the lack of resources and whatnot but we're still going at it some party blew up last year some party's an image my partner and the community organizing sunday and myself that we just started off to use the to connect the community, you know? And now we have mothers coming out to cook in like very big pots. And we have like 
plates and ports from homes coming out. And this is just connectivity on ways that, that we never even thought would be possible. If we'd never done anything, it wouldn't have been possible. How we get to get the rice and everything is a community effort. The kids and the youth in the community would go and fill up the potholes so that we can set the stage. You know, it's such community effort towards a cause. Like I said, towards an idea that brings all of us together and makes us, you know, joyous. Dance is observed, you know, different art forms in their contemporary state of expression are expressed. And, and this is just a collective efforts through will, no support whatsoever, not from a government, not from a private, not, no funds whatsoever. We're making it work and it's beautiful, it's huge. It blew up last year all over the internet. We're hoping we could get some funds to make it as huge as we can this year, but I mean, we still haven't gotten that even. <laughs> but like, like I said, this is a continuous work and it, it's not even informed by, by a state of, of the past or a state of the present, projection of the future. It's informed by every bit of it. It's a multi-dimensional reality. And we're seeing the past and what works. We're seeing the present, administering ourselves to what is working and we're doing, you know, we know how impossible it is to achieve, but yet we're still doing, we're not giving up. We're seeing what the possibility of the future is from where we stand, not from where we hope we can stand from and start from. No, from where we are, we're seeing exactly what the projection of the future is. If we're going to grow in from the same sense of self into a projected future, it's going to take a lot of work from our part. We're no longer waiting for government or or people or, or or projection of something or something to save us. We're doing the work here in the worship again. And that's what my entire narrative is. And I'm just grateful that now people are starting to come wind of what it is I've been doing. But it's, it's so much the ways that I will shock this world is, is a loss because because it's so much that we've done already. So much information that we've gathered from all the things that we've done. Like I said, Lagos is carrying is organizing chaos. That's a template that is supposed to not be possible. You know, things are getting harder. People are not even suicidal. Like people are such creators that they're creating systems and subsystems in an impossible situation. And you think that is something to look at and pity. Oh my God, the, the world is not ready for what we become when we become intentional. And this is the conversations that I want to have. It's not in comparison to a past. It's not in comparison to a possible future. It's a realism state of mind. Seeing what is, what has been, what powers exist, where they are, why they are. And to do our work, to administer from a sense of, again, I think what I get from when you ask what I mean by my idea of tradition is what has worked or what, what could work from, from our past or collective past. And it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Like I said, the history were, were even made available to us is the one. And I, like we all know, it's information that informs a collective of people. The information that the people that I stay in this community with, that are working with, is so, <laughs> oh my God, we all know what it is, you know? During NSAS, we saw what it was. And then a lot of people said, you know, the work has to reach the masses, the people, but not so privileged. And after that, that was where it ended, you know? We've been doing the work before NSARS. We started NSARS in our community. I realized when in a in a conversation with the, with the project that we're taking from our community to Museum of Hate New Institute, in, in Rotterdam. We were having a conversation around the NSA's narrative and we started it because it was in our community that this lady, a young girl died. And it was myself and my partner, Sunday, that took our phones and went to film the girl went to a family house, got the story, we put it out on the World TV. Another platform that we started in our community to get the news because our community was projected because of the violence, anti-cult clashes and whatnot within the youths. It was projected to be the most violent place in Lagos. So we started this platform, we've, we've done a lot. We've been doing a lot, we captured our community, put our pictures there, to actually able to put it out on the community to you know, reconfigure the Google image because every time you Google the worship, it was only violent pictures that would come up, you know, a, a notorious uh, 
person just got caught in this or Shakir, a person was killed and all this kind of news that popped up. And this was in all the narrative decks because we were staying there and I was doing amazing things as an artist. I was traveling, I was coming back. I was coming back to the community, the same community that was projected to only have violence as a reality. So we thought to put out the reality, hopefully we could change the narrative of our community. And we did exactly that, you know? When an officer shot into a crowd and, and killed Tina, opposite Owori Shoki, just at the bridge connects, we went there, made the video, made the news, reported it on Owori TV. It was the picture that we took of that, that Tiwa Savage and the rest of them whiskeys that made this police brutality thing become a, become a thing in Nigeria because everyone posted that exact picture that we went, went across the street to take, put out a narrative on Owori TV, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. This is this is a platform that's widely followed by our community. It was started by us. You know, it's just a willingness to change and an effort that we put into it. It's a lot. And from that, people started to get up and then we started to talk a lot about the common trauma, which is police brutality. And then that became a movement for reform, for total reform, because even the adults had to come up and say, oh, wow, the use of panel is spoken. We started the movement. You know, we're shocking. We started it. <laughs> we started it. I think it's also important for, for a lot of people to know that you collectively started this and where it started the from. The, but you know, you know, it's been a lot of will and effort towards what we believe. It's not been a comparison to a past that no longer exists or to a future that doesn't exist yet, but can be created. And it's work that it will take to create this commonly, you know, this heaven on earth, this commonly viable, inclusive community for all. It'll take all of us. It'll take all of us to do a mental work, to reconfigure the hate, to administer love. And to do the work, because it's not reciprocal. It's not. As an individual state, you would do things that would not be reciprocated. If you want to reciprocate it, you're going to have to communicate that. And it will take you to understand and to do a mental work and to understand that it will not always be reciprocated. But where you can have it reciprocated, you're going to take your win. You're still going to do your work. Because that's how we're going to grow and have a community where people are not in comparison to the other within the individual's reality, but they can use the individual differences to apply themselves to ideas and, and purposes that would serve you know, collective resonance and whatnot. Seniors, you know, desire, desire, desire of a, of a past that was more pleasurable or a future that's imagined to be more pleasurable, perfection and all of that vague idea of what could be and not doing what needs to be done in the now as to what can be, what is, what is, and accepting that and accepting what could be and then doing the work mentally and physically to, you know, accustom will to change and to do that intentionally as a collective. But individuals first would have to understand and then do their own work. And that's how we grow. And, and that, that energy starts to grow. It becomes everything. Because imagine that the individual doesn't have to conform and be understood, can understand themselves enough to communicate their difference to society. A society can, this society would be a, a society of individuals who have done the work to understand differences, can now find ways to accustom that difference in ways that they, and no one is entitled to whatever, whatever they, they want. So they understand that where they get it is where they get it, where they don't get it. You know, choosing spaces and knowing exactly what application of the self is allowed. Emotional intelligence. is a person from Lagos called? Lagosian. <laughs> Lagosian. So 
If I hear you, you are a Lagosian. You're actually from that neighborhood first. <laughs> oh, we're so I know. I'm not even a Lagosian first. From Oweroshoki because I'm screaming this and putting it on my Instagram. Exactly. Because it's again my narrative is such that it's impossible to come from where I've come from and be the person that I am currently within society. And this is what I'm saying. This is my absolute truth. This is my life. This is my purpose. To tell people that, to imagine that is false. And that's why I still scream my community everywhere that I go, when I'm in Europe, when I'm anywhere, I'm screaming from my voice, Oworushoki. Because it's imagine that. One cannot come from the slums and administer to such great or whatever it is that my, my person is described to within the sense of society as regards what is ascribed to and what is not ascribed to. You know, it's, it's supposed to be impossible to come from what I've come from. And, and what I'm doing with my life is to tell people that it is possible. And don't look down on my brothers and my sisters, you know, administer them the grace that they need to grow because I've grown from that. And I'm doing all of this from nothing, no support whatsoever. My dad died. I had to make a life out of that. I took responsibility for it. There's no excuse. There's no comparing to a past. You get what you get. You make out of what you get if you decide to make anything out of what you get. And that's what you get. No one is coming to save nobody. There's, there's already so many information. Even within the, the religious function, Christ came. He did so much work and said, this life that I have lived is the one that you should live. So much work that he did. Now they now ascribe him to be a God. It's too much to do that. No, don't do that. You know, just worship that guy. Like, no, he said, he even, he even said in his departure that joint heirs, heirs and joint heirs. To be heirs and joint heirs with, with an individual, you'd have to understand the level of their sacrifice. And people are not even willing to do, not talk of sacrifice at this state of being. Where are they looking for heirs and joint heirs with Christ? They want to go to heaven. That was built for angels. And some people want to go to hell. The one that was built for demons. When we have the capacity of gods to hold space for balance, to tell angels where to go and to tell demons where to stand. And yet people are, are wanting to go to share space with angels and stay with them there. And some people want to go to hell and go and share space with demons. I'm, I'm weak. I'm just tired. Did, you, did they not read like people that are not inquisitive or not willing to learn within truth to see that they said that we were made in God's image, not images of, of angels or, and God is such that he, he sees the children, God still chills with the devil. Should read the book of Job, how that happened. They still have conversations, they still have agreements. You know, they're tethered to principles that, that govern even every realm. Their principles, their powers, their things, their rights, their wrongs, their, their, their places they apply them. You know, it's just emotional intelligence. It's, it's a lot of things. And this is, this is all I want to do in my life, you know? Speak truth at all these chaotic states of being. I'm not trying to find order to it. Because finding a sense of order that works across board is where perfection starts to rise. And perfection is just a, an idea. It doesn't exist to God. It doesn't, it will never. What is perfect yesterday? What was perfect yesterday? It won't be perfect today. What was perfect today? So, so, so what, is, what is perfection? It's not an achievable idea. Do yeah? you consider yourself African? Yes, very much. I've known I'm African all my life because, I mean, like I said, bless God for the internet. Fast enough, I was able to see the difference between what it means to be African and what it means to... But, but even that narrative is shifting because what does it mean to be African now? And what does it mean? What does it mean now? Because with the internet, with how, with how connected we all are, right? You could, you could see what is working as regards the human race. I think my first base or ident identification isn't even, isn't even any of the labels that... It's not male, it's not, it's not African, it's human. I'm human. I have emotions. I have a reality. It might not be perfect, but I'm doing what I can to make it work. You know, I'm just human. I'm just trying to figure this thing out, this thing called life. You know, I'm trying to 
find desire, it's a will to get in desire. What we are all doing with all the money that you will make, it's still comfort you're all looking for. You know, how to live a life that is not, you know, threatened by any means. And to be comfortable in that, to live out a life, you know, fulfilled, you know, with all the joys and all the pains that whatever life can administer. If it's now, with how globalized the world currently is with the internet, right? What does it mean to be African? What would I say I am by saying I'm African? Would I say I'm only, only allowed the, the data that is in Lagos? No, that's not true. So if I say I'm African, none of the context of the fact that I'm African because I stay in Lagos. I still have access to New York. I have access to Beijing. I have access to Europe. You know, in instance, what does it mean to be African? It's a more globalized world. And so the kind of change that I'm saying that has happened. And when we compare a sense of the past to what our reality is, they most definitely have to do that to administer growth and the possibility for growth, but not within a direct sense of comparison, like saying, oh, you know, in the past it was like this. And what does that mean now? At some point, people had to post letters. It would take months to get a reply, or even to have them read. It was, it was an impossible. And now we're sending texts instantly all over the world. It's, it's a more globalized world. There is something very interesting about all the conversations that I'm having about African identities. And one thing that I noticed is that people who are, who are in Africa currently don't think about being African because you are, you're there, it's in there, it's moments. They leave the continent and are somewhere else. They notice things and then they sort of intellectualize their identity in a way. And I feel like this is what is happening here in the conversation because I asked you this and you said that you always knew that you were African, but at the same time, what you know more is that you're human just because you're connected. Yes. You're just connected. I have spoken mm. with a woman who is an African-American, but who wrote to me and she wanted to have this conversation because she's African. And it was, mm. you know, because she's disconnected <laughs> and she reconnected mm. by working in different mm. African places. She talks mm. about a journey that is, you know, the sense of lack, this sense of, going very far trying to find mm. something mm. and i really mm. love to have this conversation with people like you for example who is that's why that's why that question got to be the way that like when did i realize i was african god what does that even mean like yeah. i don't realize it you know and to great not to jeopardize or put, put a strain on the effort of the of the blacks in the diaspora the efforts that put out the world as word out there as how how brutalized the black people, Africans have been, you know, America and Europe and the rest of it within the template of what's in our Black Lives Matter. But you see when Africans did it, I'm not saying that's where I went Africans that didn't have to did it. See, it was such chaotic experience because I was here. It, for us, it wasn't we just went to the, the local authority because we had a security problem and we had it fixed after that. We went to the Oba and asked that they solve the security problem. They brought this African security that could handle the boys with African jazz that were doing and terrorizing the community, you know. And and they, they, we've been we've been at peace since then. And it was the youth that that helped the collective get to this sense of peace. Now the diaspora has been they've been managing the narrative of uh, you know Black Lives Matter under the under the respect that. Uh, you know, police brutality and whatnot. And now that, that, that had gone on for quite a while. We see when NSARS started, it didn't take a week. Posts had went up that beating 
Black Lives Matter campaign. In a week. In a week, bro. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a whole lot. You know, when people talk from a collectively experienced um, reality, call it trauma, call it, call it truth, call it whatever it is that it presents itself to be per time, right? It tends to, it tends to hold space. It's a more collective sense voice. It's a lot. And to, because it's, this kind of organization wasn't even expected of Nigerians. To see especially Nigerian youth, what, what, they can't, how I did that, they can't be that organized. And they did it, they raised their voice and even the, no people supported that movement, officially and unofficially. I mean, recently, like I said, we're talking about the NSAS movement and I just heard a lot, you know, different communities, because you have people from different communities come and we had conversations. And in their communities, they had even naval officers, you know, give them money to just, you know, stay on the roads and, and, and keep fighting for what is what, it, what should be. Because, I mean, their hands might be tied, but they can support in this way. They can, might not be able to support this. You know, everyone knows the truth, the possibility of a more sane world and what it might take to realize that we have to do a lot to get there. People know the truth. If they're not doing it, it's because they don't believe in it. They don't believe it's changeable. And believing in it is exactly the mission of gold. Because one can make an active decision on anything. That's where that's where duty starts from. That's where they've decided to do something about it. And if we decide to do if we decide on a collective scale to do something about our collective reality. So because you talked about the collective movement that happened in Nigeria and we could mm. see like, because these are things that we don't believe mm -hmm. in, but I don't know, I'm not going to mm -hmm. say we, because I do believe in that, I, <laughs> but I do. other people I mean, I do. don't. I didn't think it, was, think it was possible. I didn't even believe in it. But to see that, that level of power, to, yeah. see, to see real power shiver, the power that I thought was, was everything, to see that that power shiver a collective sense of, of projection of, of will yes during the best time then yes yeah because when you see yes. a lot of places in other countries in africa that movements usually start from the youth and then it gets taken by other people and it's something mm. that some i think it's because it's so scary <laughs> for those who mm. want everybody to conform mm. there is the sort of disconnect but one question that I have is again about African and being African and, you know, in your perspective, mm. what do you love mm. about being African? <sighs> God, it's everything. It's everything. Every goddamn thing. Our sense of self, understanding of, of, of responsibility of the self to the self, responsibility of the self to the community. It's something that is, I didn't even appreciate it as much as I do now until I traveled. And I saw how the idea of capitalism was, you know, people just being absolutely responsible for themselves. I don't think it's a sustainable thing. So selfish, greed-inspired way to go about <laughs> living, living as a collective race. It's, it, it'll, it'll, ruin, it'll ruin everything. It's ruining everything, to be honest. Growing up in this community, it's been a lot, you know. Within the functional, I mean, every, every system has its own, you know, has its advantages and, and disadvantages. But the way that it works here that I'm learning to love and understand is, is, is blissful. You know, it's not so much, it's not so much um, 
um, pressure on the individual to make a life out of something. So there's a sense of understanding that it will take a lot to to ascribe to to what is a high self. There's an understanding of of different realities as opposed to an expectation of one. You know, it's it's it's, it's beauty in different states of being. It's it's one that is encompassing of the self. There are lots of projections, like I said, and I, I think it's a great skill. I think this is what informs what I earlier said earlier said earlier about how people don't have anything to work with. Yes, they're making a lot out of nothing, you know, building systems and soft systems from nothing, literally nothing. And and this is so much power if put to intentional use, right? What even helps this, in my opinion, stay very relevant is is how it's how much belief in the community that we collectively have. During my hardest phase, I didn't, I mean, my dad had just died, didn't have a job, just had to drop out of high school. I had a friend, I would always go to their house and I would eat at their table every night, you know, once it's about almost eight o'clock, you just expect me and I just show up like, oh, I'm here and I've come to eat my portion and whatnot. It was, it was a real thing, but they understood where I was at the time my inability to help myself. It wasn't even a question. These were even conversations had. It was just an understanding. And what that does for communities encourages people to even within whatever reality they're in, to still do the work and still believe that they can get support in their journey to, towards gaining individual, individual, individuality at every responsibility state that could, can, they can accustom it to. That is balance between, you know, one, being on a journey towards being able to hold space for themselves. You know, the capitalist mindset or expectation of what a, an individual should be, but also has the template of what it means to be a true society, a true community, to understand that it takes a village <laughs> and to agree and to do in the sense of being a part of the village for the villager, your brother and sister, what is required for them individually to grow as well, to not be so selfish that you think the world absolutely revolves around you. You absolutely have to take responsibility for your entire self. It's a balance between understanding that and still hoping and requiring that you get the support that you need to grow. For us, that's that's within our individual selves. For capitalist states, that's within the government. And I think that's too much trust on the government. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way too much. It's way too much fucking, like, it's, it's all over the place, the fuck? Like, this, this niggas can just decide to do anything anytime. But for us, it's within the people, you know? And that's why with everything, with how much greed, like, the government provides literally nothing. People from my community can't even go to general hospital. The general hospital is so, the system there is so bad that, that you won't get any care. You won't. It's such a crippled system. And if any of these people, if any of my people, the people from my community, my kinds of community, depend on the government, it will be impossible to have a life. How would you describe people of your community if you were meeting me hmm. somewhere in Iceland and I have no idea about what you're talking about and you miss them, describe them. Beautiful people, beautiful, beautiful people. People that in my community are the most humane people I've ever met, you know. They have literally nothing, but the joy is so real. And to see joy that has come from nothing is to know that 
nothing really matters. You know, the kind of joy that puts you in a state of ecstasy, like like nothing really matters. That is the kind of love that exists in the community that I am coming from. And that's the kind of love that I'm preaching everywhere that I go because it's such it's such a it's such so much pressure on on people that, that you have to you know be something before you can be celebrated. You have to, you know, accustomed to a sense of wealth, success, before before you can have joy. You have to, you know, so much pressure on basic life, life emotions that could be expressed at any time at will. So, 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 so the people in my community, right, having conversations with friends, enjoying drinks with friends. You know, it might not be on a yacht or anything, but they're still having these emotions. They're exchanging data, you know, men are meeting over drinks, the women are meeting over, over whatever it is, it's women. These days, I don't even know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's still a collective experience, it's a full experience of life. It's just when we compare our lives to another state of being, that becomes either less or more. But within our individual lives, we feel what we feel when we feel joy from 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 either being able to you know, buy a bunch of friends some drinks, and, and then someone else is somewhere buying yacht, and you're happy about it. A collective of friends, you know, that joy that is felt in the heart is individualistic in expression. It can't be compared. It's the same fucking thing. The the man the mass the, the the man who's drinking at the at the bar in, in the street in my community and the guy who's having you know you know with his friends on the yacht they're feeling emotions that is particular to the experience and these are the things that inform our desire for life. It's when we achieve pain, we feel it. We achieve joy, we feel it in an individual form. I don't understand the sense of. Sharing this state of being because it will never be the same. It will never be understood except you can, you know, somehow telepathically transmute emotion to. And that's what empathy does. If shot over time, it becomes a sense of telepathy. It actually works. I do a lot. <laughs> so that state of being, not a wanting, not a needing, but a being. A being. This is exactly why I love my community. This is why I wouldn't trade anything anywhere because everywhere I've been, it's been a an expectation of being something other than what I already am. In my community, it's an understanding of who I am and how I apply to the community. It's not a wanting or a desire. It's a sense. It's a sense of understanding that passes of all my being, all my sense of being, and, and that's that's exactly. And everyone who have had the opportunity to come to my community have said the same thing. It's such real love, such real joy, such such nothingness yet everythingness, such balance. God, it's it's amazing. All the things that I've learned from this community. And my first piece was you know the village in me. I wanted to know what it was that. The people with the doctrines that are, are taking on to, to be mine without absolutely processing them to find personal perspective towards these doctrines. And that was the journey for me. That, that was what my first debut piece was about. It's still a piece because I'm still performing it. I'm in a path now, like my path to the enlightenment. The patterns that I'm learning, that are working in, in certain truths, finding them, how to you know, adapt them to the self, apply them to realities and then, you know, see results and whatnot. It's always a process, you know, trusting the process of life, uh, making, it, making this process, it's trying to make them conscious to see what is working and how I'm making it work so that when I need to do it again, you know, do the hard work to figure it out. So when I need to do it, it becomes smart work. I just apply knowledge mm -hmm. I already have in this situation. Oh, you know, and this is, this is what growth is on every scale that it exists, on every scale that it exists.
with all the things that you are and at the same time the healing that you the, the things that are made you who mm. you are and the healing mm -hmm. that you're doing at the same time to become your higher self how do you first of all how do you navigate all these identities to be honest this is the question you're asking me what is chaos <laughs> i am i am chaos <laughs> made after the light of god it's just chaos the other two is just love that's the other two is the pattern with which i administer myself and this is a lot of emotional intelligence and love is duty based to see what how best i can serve it's not what i want from spaces or what i can get from spaces how best I can do spaces. And once, once that question is asked, I mean, thank God I've been asking that question a lot, you know, how I can most be of help, how I can purposely apply my individual self to any setting, any space. It's emotional intelligence at peak, you know, knowing what I've read into meaning as to what spaces require per time. I mean, it's, it's so much truth that is, that is administered to our reality, but you know, it takes a certain set of eyes to see them. Closest thing to explaining this reality would be, you know, navigating Lagos. Uh, Lagos, you have to be different things at different points in time. If you're on the road trying to get a boss, you have to be a very arrogant, you know, willing to do all it takes to get on the boss because that's how much struggle you have to do to get on the boss. Uh, if you're in an office space, you still have to pray. Even if you just experience all the violence at the boss and you're going to an office space, probably for an interview, you still have to pray at that capacity. So it requires you to shift perspective frequently over a period of time you do that well enough for long enough you're able to change instantaneously i also had like i said in this in this uh, conversation i had a show was produced on the keku where we had to fuse a lot of differences into ideas that made them right or wrong or or at least achievable and and this has been a template for my life understanding what i want communicating that in truth in every relationship family i'm currently the most i'm picking up the most responsibilities because i earned the most you know within within the state of being what should be what can be not even not if it's a lot this is really a lot it's a lot of chaos and and different space will require me to be different things will allow me to be different things i within these spaces i am accepting within the concept of safety what is allowed where i can push my individuality there's a limit to what is allowed within certain space to so then liberate space for what what can be possible within the idea for which this space has been created you know it's just a lot of patterning data ideas to find truth and new truth common truth that that help me as an individual apply my individuality to certain spaces conversations and things and this this is this has been my entire life and this is exactly what lagos is you know it's a lot of chaotic experiences i just embody at a smaller level at an individual level what lagos requires of the individual who stays in it and how well that builds a, a very inclusive community that thrives even with all of the abusive relationships because it's such an abusive relationship to be in Lagos.
There's so much traffic, there's so much struggle, but yet, if you survive Lagos, there's nowhere in the world that you wouldn't thrive because of how much it requires you to be per time. And then if you go out of Lagos, you're not required to be all of that, but yet you've built the capacity to do all of that. So you, you can now take on more in a space where you're not required to do as much, you know? It's it's a lot of power in transition, you know? And and that's that's basically how how I, I, I you know, if I'm at home, I'm at home, if I'm at workspace, whatever it is, I is I need to do. I'm doing it and I'm being very disciplined to it, you know? A lot of people used to think, I mean, the guys I work with in my community used to think because of how understanding I am towards their narrative and pushing them to do more for themselves, that I'll be lenient with my work. But they come to work with me and I'm very strict as to, you know, that is not the movement. You have to get it. It's an emotional expression of this, you know, taking people to go see films, just the same way I was taught to you know, see perspective and all of that. It's not easy to build anything. It's always going to be hard. It'll take willingness and effort and, and decision to, you know, build a perfect a sense of perfection or at least a viable reality and in respect to what I want. I'm taking up the work. I'm taking up the work. Suddenly growing. Thank you so, 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 so much for this beautiful, beautiful and inspiring conversation. This is We Are All African. Sound design of this episode, Sonar. See you next week en français.